Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And over the last month, we've been talking about the Derek Chauvin case. And last week, we got the verdict, guilty on all three counts. But on the day of the verdict, we all know Dante Wright of Brooklyn Center was shot and killed. And we have children being shot by the police. We have Adam Toledo in Chicago, Makia Bryant in Columbus. And we can feel so overwhelmed. Sometimes we don't know even how to process it. You know, what do we think about this? What do we need to do? And I've long been interested in exploring what our voice is. We talk about our voice, have our voice be heard when we vote. Um, we talk about the progressive voice of Minnesota as our, our radio station. We talk about voice in so many ways, um, it, the sound of our voice, singing being in good voice, voice and opinion, let your voice be heard, being part of a voice so the collective voice can be heard. And, and I have a, a hunch that our voice really comes down to our collective understanding of ourselves, who we are, what we want to say, what we want to stand for. And, and today, I am going to have us focus on the artist's voice and what we can learn about understanding perhaps our own voice and the voice that, that is brewing inside us that we want to express. What is the artist's voice for justice? How are they exploring through their art, their voice, and how can we hear that voice uh, and, and be in conversation with that voice? So I've got wonderful uh, artists that will be joining us. Laura Migliorino, she is an artist. She's a teacher. She's a Fulbright fellow. I have known Laura for over 40 years, <laughs> which is sort of hard to say out loud. Um, I bought art from her 40 years ago. I love her art. Um, and uh, Laura brought to my attention uh, another wonderful artist, Rufus Elmer Jones Jr., who is a musician, songwriter, singer, president of the James Weldon Johnson Foundation. And he also wanted me to mention that he's a good husband and a good father, too. So <laughs> I have my wife's listening. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> and good. I, I fulfilled my promise. Um, so I, I, I want to start with Laura um, and, and Rufus. Thank you so much for joining us today because there's a really lot of powerful things that, that Laura brought to my attention about the work that you're doing. But I want to start with Laura. Um, Laura, tell me about uh, what you've been doing. I know that you're a Fulbright uh, scholar, uh, fellow, just delighted for you on that. Um, oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, but, but share with me. I know that you've taken pictures uh, you've been reflecting on the mood of Minneapolis and and, mm -hmm. and through this whole time from the very beginning. This, mm -hmm. Tell me about what you think about the voice that you bring as an artist and and well, also I, how, know, how you met Rufus. And how I met Rufus. Okay, well, I'll start with the voice because uh, I think it's pretty fascinating. And if somebody teaches uh, college to um, art students and non-art students, you know, we do talk about the voice. Uh, so you have a, a great point there. And I think that um, the artist's voice, particularly I'll, I'll speak to the visual artist uh, here because that's what I am, uh, trained as a drawing and painting, but been working in photography now for 20-plus years. Um, the artist has often been 
the voice for change. And visual artists, um, that role starts because hundreds of years ago we had, frankly, a, a very illiterate society. So they couldn't read. And so imagery was hugely important in terms of um, communicating, educating, uh, informing the public. So when I think about sort of historically some of the artists whose work influenced change, you know, one of the first artists I think about is Jean-Jacques-Louis uh, David, a uh, French revolutionary artist um, whose images were very instrumental in in uh, pushing forward French Revolution, did a great painting, The Death of Marat. Marat was uh, revolutionary, very important, uh, who was murdered in his bathtub. So um, then, you know, fast forward a little bit, uh, I think about Matthew Brady, one of the first um, photojournalists who photographed the American Civil War. And um, then if we jump forward again, I think about Otto Dix and George Gross, Kathy Kollowitz, who were um, working uh, during German Expressionist period, and, um, and and unfortunately, in some ways, even the worst members of our history, such as Hitler, understood the power of imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a failed art student. <clears throat> he got it. So emblematic. Um, emblematic. Yeah. yeah. He, so. So these are, you know, so this is this is a long history. And then if we jump forward to the AIDS epidemic, I think of uh, David Wanarovich and Greg Borowitz, uh, Douglas Crimp. Um, we look at women, for example, uh, in the feminist art movement, uh, uh, Judy Chicago, and then even today, uh, artists like Kara Walker. That's a perfect example. Carrie Mae Weems, another great photographer, African American, both of them. So the artist's voice, his vision, has been part of this history for hundreds of years. So for me, um, as a photographer, after the death of George Floyd, I was so discombobulated. I was so upset. I was so distressed that the only way I could cope with it was to get the camera out, start photographing, because I couldn't do anything else. I was so completely distracted and distraught. And I went down to the intersection 38th in Chicago within about 48 hours of the event started photographing. And that, that intersection is, 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 is a big part of Minneapolis history. My, my wife's father's plumbing store was on that corner. It's, it's an ordinary corner in an ordinary neighborhood in an ordinary up, upper Midwestern city. Mm-hmm. So the fact that it would stand out on, a, on an international stage is shocking. So it gave me an opportunity to cope, and then, of course, then I can use those images to help uh, communicate, educate, and share my feelings uh, with other people. And your pictures do capture, I believe, that that sense of the Minnesota ordinary corner, but the extraordinary <laughs> event that took place, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that cross-section of... Uh, ordinary and extraordinary and epic, you know, all all get celebrated through that. I mean, if you if you want to think about an ordinary place, yeah. it's Minneapolis. Yeah, I grew up in Chicago, which has had you know internationally known history for you know hundreds of years. Um, so so I, I will dovetail into how do I know Rufus, and, um, who's my great collaborator, and I adore him, and I just send you lots of love. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Enough, Rufus. Yeah, Rufus and I have. 
a really good mutual friend by the name of Selwyn Garraway. Selwyn and I were in undergraduate school together in Chicago, and he's known uh, Rufus and Jill for a long time. And he was uh, one of the first of the James Weldon Johnson fellows. And uh, James Weldon Johnson Foundation, Rufus can talk more about it, has a residency program in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And um, so Selwyn was one of the first uh, fellows, and then he nominated me. And uh, so then I got to go, um, and it was a life-transforming experience. And then I, and I already had known Rufus and Jill, but then I really got to know them much, much better. And um, it changed my life. I... Because of this residency, I got the Fulbright in London to continue work and research around James Weldon Johnson and Rosamond Johnson and their legacy. And then we just remained good pals, and then Rufus and I collaborated on, um, we have the same conviction about life, and we collaborated on this particular tragedy, um, which has been a joyful experience to collaborate, um, but also it's sad that this is the tragedy that brings us together. And the collaboration is the Transcription 846 Blues. Uh, yes. And that is a, a song that that Rufus created. And Rufus, mm-hmm. t- tell me about that process in creating Transcription 846 Blues. Thank you, Lord Beth. Uh, and thank you, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> It is a pleasure to be here today. I want to first uh, acknowledge that in the tragedy, um, I did find inspiration to use music uh, as my voice uh, for change and action. Uh, Specifically, I see Transcription 846 Blues as a catalyst to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, as well as the Emmett mm-hmm. Till Anti-Lynching Act. Um, yes. Both um, when I listen to the, uh, li- listen intently to the court cases and what was brought out, I think the, the, the music, our voices must be used as they have in history uh, to create change and, and to act. So the, the process of, of Transcription 846 Blues is I took the blues format. Uh, in this case, I used the eight-bar blues format. And I, I took in sort of my uh, inspiration from another Minneapolis hero, Eileen, Dr. Eileen Southern, who was the first tenured black woman at Harvard University, my college, and she wrote a book called The Black, The Music of Black Americans. So when you look at the history of music as integral uh, in, in helping us interpret the world and capture moments, every part of our life from birth to death has, has a role that music plays, that art plays. And whether it was the songs during the anti-slavery movement or the lift every voice and sing uh, to help uh, eventually get to Brown versus Board of Education uh, and uh, then segue into We Shall Overcome for the Civil Rights Movement. Um, Strange Fruit, again, a song to protest lynching of African-Americans. I see Transcription 846 Blues as a, a protest against 
police brutality and the humanity and the failures of the criminal justice system, all with the goal of equal justice under law. And I think that when the police camera video uh, came out in June, I was sitting on my equity trading desk uh, at a boutique Wall Street firm, and I get a lot of information pushed at me through uh, through news. I read news all the time to, to understand the trading markets. And only thing I, I was hearing that George Floyd said was, mama, and I can't breathe. And so I love my mother, uh, and she, she was listening now, and I, I'm an asthmatic, so whenever someone talks about I can't breathe, I, I pay attention. But then I thought, he, what else did he say? Mm. And when the police camera video was uh, released to the public, I just, as, as a trader, I just started poking around to see if I can find this video or the transcript. And about 23 pages showed up. And I read it, and I, and I said, aha. He was, he, I, yeah, he said, Mr. Officer, 24 times, sorry, nine times, please. He said, please, 55 times and, 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 and breathe a breath over 22 times. Mama, 13 times. You know, that's just in the 846 that we were, we were told was uh, important in May and, and June, but we know it's 929. Uh, that's, mm -hmm. th that's the new number. So that's. That was the uh, initial uh, uh, impetus for me on uh, understanding the words and the the, the initial um, another James Weldon Johnson fellow in the arts, Dr. Allison uh, uh, from Chaminade University, uh, uh, Allison Painter. She was she was participating in a, a theatrical piece on the West Coast called The Breathe Project. And she asked me to write the uh, soundtrack for her uh, eight minutes, 46, uh, eight minutes, 46 second the theatrical piece. So I was just thinking of the music. Right. And, and with that, I, I, I've run through my first segment, of course, <laughs> which I, I have a habit of doing. But what I want to do is set up the song so that everyone can hear it in the next segment. We're just going to let folks know. Gotcha. Um, this The words that you will hear in the next segment um, are uh, George Floyd's words. You, you used his – this is a transcription of his words. And you added um, your voice with the music uh, in terms of interpreting and and helping us perhaps explore what was what was George going through at those those moments. the The piece itself also features Laura's uh, photography, and I want to encourage you. We'll, we'll be able to hear the music, but of course, since it's radio, we won't be able to see Laura's um, photography. So that's fine. No, no, it's, it's all good. It's it all good. Online. But it's I do. Fine. I do want it's folks to know that you can watch um, this video and see Laura's photography uh, by going to RufusJonesMusic.com. So stay with us uh, in the next segment. We're just going to listen to Rufus's music, and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll continue the discussion uh, about our voice and voice for change. So thanks for staying with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. 
I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And on today's show, we are exploring the artist voice for justice. And we have Laura Migli-Reno, who is an artist, a teacher, a Fulbright Fellow. And we have Rufus Elmer Jones, Jr., who is a musician, songwriter, singer, uh, and who has created a piece uh, for us to listen to. Now, I know this is talk radio, but uh, today I'm going to call it voice radio. <laughs> so we're going to hear <laughs> the, the voice uh, of... Um, of Rufus Elmer Jones Jr. in his creation of the transcription 846 Blues. The, it is a transcription because it is the words of George Floyd. Um, Rufus, if you want to say anything before we go right into the music, uh, I'll, I'll give you the floor. I want people to listen to the words of Floyd. He narrates his death. He is cognizant. He His cognitive abilities are clear and he his humanity and love of others is clear and i think this will be in my opinion another piece of music that will help create uh, pass legislation in washington that that's the purpose of this song. It passed the legislation and uh, federal legislation. And so it, I hope that it comes across. And it's also an honoring, especially after the verdict has been made, an honoring of George and a continuing um, of all of us doing the right thing for justice. So with yes, that, it, uh, I want to let folks know that we're going to play the whole song. Uh, and the song is eight minutes and 46 seconds long. Um, we're going to uh, just right after the song is over, we're going to go to commercial. So we won't be coming back. Um, but I encourage you to stay with us, listen to the music, and then we'll be back after the commercials to talk more about uh, Transcription 846 Blues, as well as the artist's voice for change. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And on our show today, we've been exploring the artist's voice for justice. And we have Laura Migliorino, who is an artist and a teacher and Fulbright Fellow 2021. And we have Rufus Elmer Jones, Jr., musician, songwriter, singer, president of the James Weldon Johnson Foundation. And I will not forget, you are both a great husband and a great father. <laughs> As promised, I would introduce you. Um, that last piece that we heard in the last seg- segment, very powerful piece, eight minute and 46 seconds. And if you can imagine, the length of that piece is also the length of what we first understood, although we found out later it was even longer. But what we first understood was uh, the knee on the neck of George Floyd. And I think that gives a power to it, not only the words, but but the length, um, the choices that you made to to honor and to make your voice be heard and George's voice be heard in this piece. And in this piece, we also have Laura Migliorino's photography. Um, and should you want to listen and share with a friend and be able to see uh, the photography, uh, you can go to rufusjonesmusic.com and you can see this piece as well as others. So Rufus, my friend, uh you started to share in the last piece uh, in our last segment about how you left Wall Street and was time to more embrace your music and also your leadership with the James Weldon Johnson Foundation. Can you tell me first about the James Weldon Johnson Foundation and then if you could work in also what, how did that decision-making occur for you in terms of being ready to leave? Lori, Lori Beth, can you hear me? Sure can. Can you hear me? I can't hear anything. All right. Well, we'll get that fixed. Uh, well, I'm here and I can hear things. Okay, good. <laughs> Laura, right. I, 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 hear you. I hear you now. Okay, it's, good. All right, we good. Started. No, no, we're good. We're good. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have Laura share a little bit about the James Weldon Johnson Foundation. And okay. then I want you to share some more about um, your decision-making and leaving the James Weldon, uh, leaving Wall Street and going into music and, and more embracing the James Weldon Foundation. So, Laura, okay. sh- share with me yep. l- your experience and, and what the mission and all of that with the James Weldon Foundation. Well, the James Weldon Johnson Foundation, you know, it's very interesting how um, a, a, an artist, uh, and James Weldon Johnson was a, a writer, uh, part of the Harlem Renaissance. He and his brother were also um, a musical combination. Uh, James Weldon wrote lyrics, and his brother Rosamond Johnson wrote uh, the melodies. And, um, and and James Weldon Johnson and Rosamond Johnson wrote one of the most important civil rights songs in history called Lift Every Voice and Sing. And everybody, you know, people know it. You, you go, hey, you know, and but they don't know who wrote it. And I find it fascinating when... In his lifetime, James Weldon Johnson was a larger-than-life person. People knew him. He worked with uh, E.B. Du Bois, uh, part of the Harlem Renaissance. He was a mentor to Zora Neale Hurston and um, uh, Langston Hughes. is a major name here in, in, in the Harlem Renaissance um, movement. And then his name falls off. And he's not like a household name in a way that he, he should be. He's one of the founders of the NAACP. 
And so what I love about the James Weldon Johnson Foundation is not only their generosity to artists and their uh, support of um, artists, and that includes writers, visual artists, musicians, etc., um, but it's also to help kind of breathe life back into this man's name, which, in my opinion, should be more of a household name, uh, like Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, this is a very important man. And, um, and so one of the things they do is they host an artist residency um, on the campus of um, Simon's Rock, Bard, Bard College at Simon's Rock. And do correct me on that, Rufus, if I got it wrong. And, 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 what, and, I'll, and what I'll do is I'll, let, I'll, I'll transition this over to Rufus with okay. his – you're president of that foundation now, right? And yes. And what I love about James Weldon Johnson's song, um, which I understand is not the title, but what we know it as is "Lift yes. Every Voice and Sing," which um, is, what is we part. Know it as. Yeah, is part of why I'm so fascinated about voice. So tell me why you left Wall Street and why you're embracing being president of this foundation. <laughs> why did I leave Wall yeah. Street? Yeah, <laughs> I. I discovered during COVID that there are three things that I can do, even though I may be tired, but I'm not exhausted. I can do anything for my family. I can do music and I can do the work of the foundation. And one thing that um, I want to say is a quote from from James Weldon Johnson. He says, the final measure of the greatness of all peoples is the amount and standard of the literature and the art they have mm-hmm. produced. The world mm-hmm. does not know that a people is great until that people produces great literature and art. No mm-hmm. people that has produced great literature and art has ever been looked upon by the world as distinctly inferior. So mm-hmm. art and music is a key tool for for equality in America and in the world. And so Johnson and his brother, when they wrote Lift Their Voice and Sing, as we call it, uh, he called it National Hymn in January 1900. And he wrote it for school children. And the importance of voice as Minnesota and Minneapolis influences in so many positive ways through Prince and through Eileen Southern, I think no greater honor it is for Johnson's legacy to be advanced by being on your radio show. What a, It's such an honor to be here today with you and Laura. It's such an honor. Well, it's an honor to have your leadership and where you're taking um, the foundation, the James Weldon Johnson Foundation and and exploring what role can art play in equality. I mean, that's a it's a magnificent uh, vision. And we look at art sometimes as something that provides beauty and enjoyment, but how can it provide change? How does it set the tone for mm-hmm. change? You know, how, how does it, it – because right now I think we're, we're facing with great cognitive dissonance our world mm-hmm. uh, where we are seeing the horrors – and with that cognitive dissonance, we want to believe that we're a country where we're all created equal, and yet we see people of color are not being treated equally. And you can't hold that thought without doing something. And it's either retreat and, and not deal with it, which just continues the angst, 
or you do something. Um, and, and art can help lead the way of what, what that means. And I remember when you first wrote me, Rufus, about how music can pull in all of our senses. It can go beyond the words to, to penetrate to our understanding. Tell me a little bit more about that. And then, uh, of course, I've run over, but I just want you to share a little bit about that. Then we'll go in, uh, we'll have a break, and then we'll come back our, and, our, and share more. Our, our senses, our taste, our smell, what we see, mm-hmm. the, um, what Minneapolis showed us. The, the, the bystanders' voices, the legal prosecution team voices, the police voices, everything that you all showed us, you know, down, flowing down the Mississippi River, we can feel and we, we, we see what you've done to help us heal. We can't do this all by ourselves. Mm. And you showed us black and white, young and old, collaborating relationships, working together. That's what Minneapolis showed us. That's what you all showed us. And I'm so happy that... Um, we are able to uh, to use this platform to tell this story. And in our next segment, I'd love to have you share your story of voices have no color. Oh uh, yes, and so <laughs> It'll make me cry. Uh, that's right. And and bring Grace and Grace is your guitar. You've got Grace yeah. with us today too. So Gra- Grace gets to join us as part of the fourth segment. So we got to go to yes. commercial now. But when we come back, I want to hear more about voices have no color. Thank you. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And today we've been exploring the artist's voice for justice. And I have had two absolutely wonderful guests joining me. Laura Migliorino, who is an artist, a teacher, a Fulbright Fellow for 2021. Rufus Elmer Jones, Jr., musician, songwriter, singer, president of the James Weldon Johnson Foundation, and a wonderful father and a terrific husband. Uh, and in our last segment, <laughs> yes, absolutely. In our last segment, uh, there is a song that you created before Transcription 846 Blues. Um, and if you missed the Transcription 846 Blues as a listener, I am going to encourage you to go to rufusjonesmusic.com, listen to Transcription 846 Blues, and also see the beautiful photography of Laura Migliorino. But when I was Thank looking, you. What, he, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it should be posted now. It's, and when you mentioned it this morning, I said, oh, I need to update my good, website. Good, so it's, good, it's good. There now. good, good, good. I'm glad. So because people are going to go there. Um, but as I was going through your website, um, I found a piece, especially since I was wanting to focus on voices, um, of voices have no color. And it was something you created after the Rodney King uh, incident. So can you tell me a story, the story behind that? Yes, I was a teacher at the Dalton School in New York. I was teaching sixth grade ancient history, which is 900 B.C. Assyrian Sumerian history. And I use actually I use, my mother's uh, educator, uh, Marvis Laverne Neelan Jones, and my my father's musician entrepreneur. And so I actually used the, the guitar to get my first teaching job uh, when I taught the Bill of Rights with the Bill of Rights Blues uh-huh. And when I got the job at, I was, a, I was doing the, uh, a life of a starving artist. And so I, I, I needed a teaching gig. So I was teaching in the day and doing music at night. And in 1991, it's when I arrived in, in, at the Dalton school, uh, the camcorder video of Rodney King, um, had, had been produced and, or distributed the verdict in 1992, uh, came out and all hell broke loose. Right. And I was a teacher, and it was the first time that I saw 
what I call white fear. The second time I saw white fear, there's white folks who experienced fear, uh, was during 9-11 when I was on Wall Street. And now we saw fear in, in, in George Floyd's face, but you don't see white fear a lot. And so it was like, hmm, that was that's that's very interesting. And uh, and Rodney King was saying, can we get along? Well, a few months later, I just put that in the back of my head. I'm listening to Rodney King. I see the video and I'm I'm teaching. uh, I'm teaching children. And then uh, that summer of 92, I'm calling my roommate from college and I said, hello. He's working at ABC. I said, hello, I speak to Terry. And. The assistant picked up the phone and said, oh, is, uh, is this Tom? I said, Tom? I said, do I, do I sound white? Oh, See, Tom is white. Terry's uh-huh. black. And she said, voices have no color. Uh-huh. I said, hmm, that's interesting. So I wrote that down. And I was, as, as the whole Rodney King um, video was ruminating and planning my head, and I'm trying to be an artist, I'm doing blues and trying to figure myself out, um, I wrote Voices Have No Color. And I I performed it at Black History Month at the Dalton School and they gave me a standing ovation. Uh, and in the in the song has has it has, it it has it it just reminded I knew what I had to do with transcription eight forty six blues. You had it it's all the same. It's the video, it's the trial and the verdict. Fortunately it was guilty verdict this time. And the song goes something like this. Can we get along? That's what he said. Can we positively communicate? Use love against hate to eradicate the problems of race in Western civilization, voices have no color. This is where the blues, the 12-bar blues kicks in. Yeah, minor blues. Voices have no color. Voices have, voices have no color. And that, it was, that's how the song came to life. I call it dotting the song. That was the first song I actually put a period at the end. Doesn't mean I, I necessarily completed the song at, at that particular time, but that meant that I had just enough so I, I could perform the song. Um, and uh, that, and it, it still has legs. It's, it's still important. And I, I want this song like Lift Every Voice and Sing um, to be around and valuable 100 years from now. And it will be. It's a powerful, <laughs> and, and it's a, a song of hope um, and an engagement. And it, I think it asks the question for all of us: you know, what is our voice, and and how do we how do we lift it up? Uh, how do we stand for something? And how can artists inspire us um, to change the world? And with that, I have to wrap it up. I wish I could go on for another three hours with all of you. 
Um, oh, this but, is a blessing. Thank you so much. Laura, thank, thank you. I love you. Laura, Beth, thank <laughs> you <laughs> for bringing me into you. your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I connected by the Mississippi you. River, but uh, it's great yeah. to be connected by music and radio now. Thank absolutely. You. Yeah. Absolutely. And with that, thank you for um, helping to change the world. You're a wonderful artist. Lori, and thank you for having us. Absolutely. And next week, we're going to have a great discussion on racial healing. I will be having Melissa Adams come back and share with us um, ideas about what we can do together to make a difference. So thanks for being part of Connections. Thank you for making the connection.